Hi, and welcome to Top in Tech, a global council podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about the reshuffle of the French government and the state of play of tech regulation in France. Macron goes all in with high stakes reshuffle to combat the far right, read one headline last week. And in this reshuffle, President Macron propelled Gabriel Attal to be France's youngest ever prime minister. Now, these major political changes come at a time when France is the leading EU member state in regulating tech, both in shaping the rules that come out of Brussels, but also in pushing forward national legislation within France itself. My name is Colin Darcy. I'm the regular host of this podcast, and I'm joined this week by Anna Gradenaru, who's a director for tech policy within Global Council, based in Brussels, but an expert in French policy as well. And Anna is going to take us through the ups and downs of the politics in France, and then where we are on French legislative efforts targeted at the tech sector. So Anna, thank you very much for joining me today. Let's start with, with the reshuffle itself. Can you just talk us through what happened last week? What were the major appointments? I've mentioned one of them, but also what was the motivation of President Macron? Hi, Conan. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, as you've said, last week, there's been only one headline in France and it's been the formation of the new government. Former Prime Minister Elisabeth Bonn has resigned on Monday evening. Then there's been a bit of unclarity as who was going to be the new person. And almost 24 hours before we had Gabriel Latal's name, there have been whispers that there has been some early opposition to his appointment from the longer standing members of the majority. But here we are. He's now Prime Minister. This in turn triggered formation of a new government. And this is some, somewhat of a tighter government than we've seen in the past. So whilst top ministerial jobs have been confirmed, for example, Bruno Le Maire has stayed in post with a broad economic policy portfolio. Gérald Darmanin retains home affairs. Others haven't been announced yet. We're still waiting to see what's, what's going to happen. Emmanuel Macron did say he only wanted a few members as part of this government therefore making it a more efficient and allowing it to start working straight away. When it comes to President Macron's motivations, it's both an opportunity to take stock of what happened. So we're a little bit less of halfway through his mandate. The next presidential elections are in 2027. And it has been a difficult time for him and his government. I mean, you had protests in France, you had the, the majority is still quite fragile. And this is kind of the short term, the longer term in terms of issues there. You have the short term, the European elections that are coming in June, as well as the Paris Olympic Games, which will also happen shortly, will be two major tests for him. In the longer term, there's also a need to stem the flow of the far right party, Rassemblement National, as well as questions around successions in 2027. As I said, uh, this is an election for which President Macron can't run anymore because it would be a third mandate and that's impossible. So the hope is that Gabriel Letal's appointment will strengthen his government's identity versus the parties of France political right. The hope is also that it brings a, a breath of fresh air. Gabriel Attal is a member of Macron's inner circle. He's been part of his team from the very beginning, from the En Marche days and then Renaissance. And he's been in the government since 2018. He's a much more political figure than his predecessor, Elisabeth Bourne, who was a lot more technocratic. And recent polls suggest that he is the most popular government minister. In his former portfolio, he was indeed education minister. So this is really what Macron's trying to achieve. Popularity, strengthening the majority and breath of fresh air a little bit less than halfway across his second mandate. 
Okay, so it sounds a little bit like Macron has some midterm blues, which I guess is not hugely unexpected. Sorry? Possibly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, midterm blues, which is not hugely unexpected when you're halfway through the second term, as you described. He wants to hold off a rightward shift within French politics and wants to, I guess, avoid a little bit of a humiliation at the European elections, which are coming in June. I also wonder, Anna, from what you're saying, whether there's a little bit of succession planning going on here and whether Macron is trying to push his chosen successor, or at least someone he looks favourably on, to get a greater profile ahead of the next presidential election in 2027. Looking to the topic of this podcast, though, Anna, how does this relate tech policy insofar as what we know at the time of speaking, and there's still, I guess, a little bit of a lack of clarity, what are the direct implications for tech policy, if any, from this reshuffle? I mean, as you've said, it's difficult to preempt tech policy without an appointment of a, of a minister for digital affairs. Um, but one can make a few educated guesses. So previously, Jean-Noël Barraud was holding this portfolio. And we can already think about along two lines. First of all, Prime Minister Gabriel Attal was previously at the education ministry but he had a keen interest in digital affairs, and I will come back to that. And the second one, there's um, a maintenance of Bruno Le Maire in his role as the Minister of Economy, Finance and Industrial and Digital Sovereignty, which oversees the digital policy agenda. And that also suggests the maintenance of the broad strategy. But let, let's unpack each of those a little bit. So first of all, Gabriel Attal, as an education minister, as I said, took a very keen interest in the digital world. He used his role to fight against cyberbullying at school and advance the wider tech literacy agenda. He also presented an interministerial plan to combat online harassment in schools in September 2023. He also worked closely with Jean-Noël Barraud on the recent EdTech Expo that was happening in November. And the two of them then led discussions on disinformation online, media literacy, and again, cyberbullying in schools. So this is for the, for the prime minister. Then when it comes to Bruno Le Maire, the minister for economy finance, his pre-reshuffle vision for digital affairs was that it was a very, very important priority on the agenda. So child safety online was a longstanding preoccupation of Macron's government. It's been taken up by Barreau and Le Maire as a key priority. And this extends across age verification, preventing cyberbullying of minors, strengthening powers of the ARCOM within the digital bill. Equally pre-reshuffle, Barreau also suggested that the key 2024 priority was compliance with the DSA and directing his anger at platforms that continued to facilitate the spread of disinformation. And the platform X was something that was a bit of a spotlight in there. So these are for the two things. Other, other considerations beyond the prime minister and Bruno Le Maire as a minister are also the Olympic Games. So in 2024 is a bit of an unavoidable topic when it comes to France and preventing potential cyber attacks alongside the National Cybersecurity Agency. And there's a bit of a vision of, of continuing France's role as a regulator in chief amongst EU member states. So France has been keen to present itself as a first mover in implementations of when it comes to EU-wide legislation, but also when it comes to domestic efforts. And there's also the will to support French AI innovation concern around the bias of Anglo-Saxon AI. And this reflects a longstanding French preoccupation with European competitiveness and bolstering really domestic innovation. We've seen this play out in the AI Act negotiations at EU level 
And there's also the government AI incubator Alliance within the state IT department who've been working on a broad project implementing generative AI into public services, but also developing its own, its own sovereign, free and open generative AI tool for use by public servants called Albert. So our assumption then, Anna, is that much of this will continue. We have a form of continuity in Bruno Le Maire's reappointment, though sort of ongoing uncertainty over what happens to Barrow's post and also the particular approach to the Prime Minister and a particular attention that the Prime Minister might pay to this remains somewhat uncertain at this time of writing, but there's a lot going on across the landscape. And one thing specifically that you mentioned there, Anna, towards the end was around AI and the AI Act in Brussels. And there's been ongoing controversy around the position of France with regards to this piece of legislation. So back in December, France was accused of trying to derail the negotiations. And then following the announcement of the political agreement also in December, there's been a lot of criticism domestically about the position that has come out. There's been lots of speculation about the influence of Mistral on the French position. So I guess taking that all together, Anna, where are we now? And do we expect that the French government will intervene forcefully on the AI negotiations this month, despite the political change that we've just been discussing? Yes. Well, this has been the hot topic in 2023, hasn't it? The the AI Act negotiations. So indeed, the Franco-German-Italian trio have been a major obstacle during the negotiations in Brussels. They created a blocking minority over the regulation of foundation models, as you've said it. They opposed the two-tiered approach. And there have been some arguments that this will stifle European innovation. Of course, there have been talks about this being heavily influenced by Mistral AI. There's also been, you know, when you look at it, Macron's unprecedented intervention into the negotiation process. There's been a deal, a post-AI Act, where Macron called for an adjustment to the criteria used to distinguish GPAI from those with systemic risks and a regular review of the legislation. So let's see where that goes, because the AI Act is still in play. Indeed, we've only seen a political agreement being reached and, and we are all eagerly expecting uh, the text. So let's see where, where that takes us. There's also been claims that Germany is seeking French support for its own intervention into the final AI Act drafting. The digital minister from Germany uttered public criticism and alleged, and there's been an alleged French letter and other member states about reopening elements of the text around foundation models. All of this, again, will be clarified by, by the final text. When it comes to next steps, it's premature to speak about a blocking minority, given the political capital expended by all EU lawmakers into making this work and being the first jurisdiction to regulate AI technology. France is not as vocal or invested in concessions as Germany, but it could support member state attempts to gain last minute concessions to appease a, a domestic audience. So Anna, I guess we're going to have to wait and see what happens with the AI Act. But it sounds to me, from what you're saying, like the French government, while it's not necessarily going to block the conclusion of the negotiations and the legislation passing before the European elections, it is likely to throw its weight around in the coming weeks to make sure that elements of the text are to its liking. And I suspect those areas will focus on priorities that they've expressed before, whether that's around open source AI or indeed around foundation models. Let's forget the Brussels angle for the rest of this podcast, go back to the French domestic point. And you raised some of these issues earlier when you were taking us through the French government's priorities on tech. But one big trend in European tech policy has been the 
almost hyperactivity of the French government. It hasn't been deferring to Brussels and the agenda of the European Commission on tech legislation. It has both put forward legislation to preempt EU legislation and implement it early, but it's also been legislating in areas where Brussels has not. So could you just take us through what's the latest on this and what bills should we be looking out for this year? One to watch is the influenza bill. It's a prime example of this trend. In November 2022, the first draft of the bill was introduced to regulate influencers, and that kind of preempted and extended many provisions that were already present in the DSA, the Digital Services Act from Brussels. Since then, there has been a long running saga between the French government and the European Commission, with the government indeed moving ahead to adopt the influencer bill before the deadline for the Commission's feedback realigning on EU law. This resulted in an intervention from Thierry Breton to Catherine Colonna, who was then Minister for European and Foreign Affairs, criticizing the influencer bill's compatibility with the, with the DSA and calling for a complete repeal of the enacted provisions. So there will probably be a tendency to try and reduce tensions with the European Commission and the government eventually capitulated to the European Commission and recently introduced a bill outlining modifications to the influenza bill to align with the DSA and appease the Commission's concerns. It probably didn't help that European Commissioner in charge is Thierry Breton himself, a French national. Another uh, example of this of this trend is the digital bill. Again, there have been similar concerns from the Commission regarding its incompatibility with the DSA. There's been another intervention from Breton who's warned against measures in the bill that would duplicate or tighten the DSA and therefore creating fragmentation within the EU bloc. He stressed the multi-jurisdictional nature of online platforms and reiterated the Commission's long-standing argument that regulation cannot be entrusted to French authorities alone, I quote, and instead requires EU-wide measures. Final question for you then, looking at the French domestic scene and going back to that idea of hyperactivity, One thing you haven't mentioned so far is these announcements that we've seen around a music streaming tax. Could you just talk us through the details of this move and what is the political motivation behind it? Is this a move to somehow protect French culture or to fund domestic industries? It'd be great to get your perspectives. Yes, thank you for that. It's a very interesting one indeed. So again, it's a long running saga with senators and MPs repeatedly attempting to insert the issue into the 2024 finance bill debates at the end of last year. There have been consistent amendments during the process that prompted the government to begin negotiations with streaming platforms around a voluntary contribution scheme to fund the National Music Centre. However, after progressing at a really glacial pace, the negotiations failed to reach an agreement around a voluntary contribution. They essentially couldn't agree on individual donations. This then forced the government's hand, who finally accepted amendments to introduce a mandatory music streaming tax in the 2024 finance bill. I'm not going to take you through all the details, but one article that's worth mentioning is Article 53 of the finance law, which confirms the introduction of a streaming tax with a mandatory contribution of 1.2%, sorry, revenues for all the platforms who have revenues in France exceeding 20 million euros. Of course, as you can expect, there's been widespread criticism from the industry, with Spotify being one of the most vocal critics. They said this was a blow to the innovation and growth prospects of recorded music in France. And they stressed that the decision will cause Spotify to disinvest in France and redirect its investments towards other markets who don't have such laws. 
They also noted that they are considering a 6 to 10% subscription price increase as a result and the cancellation of two schemes to support emerging artists, the Printemps de Bourges and the Francofolie Music Festival in La Rochelle. Both of them very important landmarks in the French musical landscape. Lastly, the industry have argued that it will impede the competitiveness of European actors as well as big tech and essentially achieve uh, the opposite effect of what the bill was trying to do. So further controversy on the horizon by the sounds of that. And it'll be interesting to see whether this concept moves to other countries. Clearly, there will be eyes on whether the French experiment has been successful in this regard. And you can see countries where there are strained public finances and important advocacy groups from the cultural industry side of things who will look to potentially replicate this or argue for this should the worst case scenarios that the streaming industry have laid out do not come to fruition. So Anna, thank you for taking us through all of that today. We'll keep an eye on what happens with the rest of the reshuffle, the rest of the French government's agenda, what the French government does vis-a-vis the AI Act. And I suspect we'll come back uh, onto another podcast on that topic in particular. But if anyone has listened today and is keen to pick up the conversation with Anna or any other colleagues in our Brussels and our Paris teams, then just look into the podcast notes. You'll find details for Anna there as well as other colleagues. Or indeed, you can take a look on our website at www.global-council.com. Thank you for listening and please tune in for the next episode. Bye-bye.